Hey friends, happy holiday season from the Guardians of the Future podcast. Hope you're safe and sound and not anywhere near where the Browns have been lately or anywhere in Cleveland because apparently uh, things are a hotbed in Cleveland right now. So wherever you are, stay safe and get ready for a good holiday season. I'm Justin Latta, joined by Willie Hood for another edition of Guardians of the Future. Willie, how you doing? I would say just a tad bit under spectacular today. It's Monday. Well, so. that's that's good. Just a tad bit. That's a good bar to set. Not bad for a Monday. All right. Well, for those of you who listened last week, uh, thank you for for tuning in to um, our interview with Travis Sawchick of the Score to talk about the CBA and the lockout. I know that's not everyone's favorite topic, but I thought that with not a lot of other news going on and that kind of being the main, the last thing that's really happened, I guess since then. Um, I thought it was fair to at least cover that and, and get the information out. And I thought Travis provided a lot of information and uh, a lot of context to things you see on Twitter. Often 100 or 280 characters on Twitter is a hard way to characterize something as complex as the lockout and the labor negotiations, even though there haven't been any since, I don't know, in 20 days now or 18 days at this point. But um, always better to add more context than less. So I appreciate Travis coming on to do that, and uh, we'll avoid any lockout talk today. But, Willie, we do have some business news to discuss. I yeah, can't I believe... Yeah, I hear there's uh, rumors of a new minority owner. Yeah, so if you haven't seen the news yet today, um, Sportico put out an article today that um, Cleveland had entered into talks with uh, a guy named David S. Blitzer, who is the minority owner of the Philadelphia 76ers, the New Jersey Devils, a handful of soccer teams over in Europe. Uh, He is a minority or a co-owner of the AAA Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Railroaders, who are the AAA team for the Yankees. He owns an eSports company, and he also is the senior executive of one of the largest uh, financial equity uh, investment firms in the U.S. I'm, I'm told maybe it's the largest. I don't really get into those things. So I don't know, but um, interesting background. He's not from around Cleveland, but he is apparently going to buy, he's in talks to acquire 35% of the team. Uh, John Sherman previously owned 30% of the team. His shares, I believe, are still in escrow. So A, John Sherman wants his money back. B, um he can't have those shares while he owns another team. So, but 35% is a 5% increase over what Sherman had. If that ends up being the deal, who knows when it'll officially happen, but he, uh, Paul Dolan did say today or confirm that he has had meaningful talks with David Blitzer about purchasing a minority ownership interest in the guardians, but they can't comment any further. So, uh, Willie, what were your first thoughts seeing that news? First of all, that I wasn't very familiar with David Blitzer. I've heard the name, but I didn't know a whole lot about him until I saw an article that you uh, retweeted, and I saw a little bit of information there, and then also the note that um, now this is something that you can't make up, but he's the poorest, wealthiest (laughs) owner. (laughs) So, Uh, well, it's hard to categorize that. that. 
Yeah. What's that? He is the, um, if you look at the way, I don't know, Yahoo worded that article weird. The article Willie's referencing is from Yahoo from August of this year. And who knows where they get their figures because some of them have just the weirdest sources for this. But um, he has the least amount of money of the richest owners or the least, I don't know, the most, I'm sorry, the most amount of money of the poorest owners. Is that right? You think it used the word poorest in there, which is a, a, a poor choice of word when we're talking about billionaires. But I, I, as I suggested to you, we do need to do a welfare check on him, make sure he has socks and shoes and coat and glove and he's staying warm wherever he is, probably kicked back with his feet up on a beach somewhere at his second or third vacation home. But, you know, hey. Yeah, he's got he's valued a billion dollars. It was entertaining. It was. Yeah, he's, he's valued at a billion dollars. Uh and he is the, like I said, he is the senior executive of a very large um, investment firm. He apparently, according to the score, he and somebody from uh, another financial company um, were in talks to bid on the Mets last year before their owner um, got the team there. So, hey, he's richer than the Diamondbacks owner, than the Padres owner, and the Padres owner has spent a ton of money over the last several years. Um, the Padres owner Ron Fowler is net worth at five hundred million. So um, David S. Blitzer is valued at twice that. So here's the other thing we're trying to figure out too: was the the uh, the Guardians are valued at one point two billion right now. So if he is buying a thirty five percent ownership stake, that's about four hundred twenty million. So that's um, you know roughly half his his uh, net worth, just a little bit under. Um, I think there's a path. To full I think that I article think. said he was uh, valued at one point four um, billion, which What's would there? make it. Yeah, that he was actually valued at one point four, um, or at least that was one of the comments. That would put him around forty percent, or something like that, or or below forty hmm. percent of his net worth. But either way, you know, one of the things that I'll know is that he has been a full time, part time owner in several sporting venues with the Devils, the Sixers, and and Europe too. So it's interesting that he's getting his feet in baseball now. And I'm curious if there is a path for Blitzer to become the full-time owner and what that looks like for the future. That's a lot to speculate. And, you know, we can talk for hours about that because we absolutely know nothing, but we can make up a lot of stuff. Sure. That's easy to do. Um, I mean, look, things were good when when John Sherman was the minority owner of the team and they had the highest payroll ever. They signed Edwin Encarnacion. Uh, team was good. So that's good. I mean, a minority owner is definitely good. I don't think there's a bad side to having minority owners. The only question I think comes is what happens when he transitions to majority because, you know, now we know that Dolan is um, selling more of a stake in the team than he did to Sherman. And there's a path to become the full-time, the majority owner at some point. I don't know. We don't know the details of that, but, um, look, as, as far as money goes, obviously the Dolan family has not been the best ownership for Cleveland, um, because the payroll has been low at times too, too low. And, you know, I understand that, you know, that there's business things to it. I don't know, but he's been a good owner in other ways. The family has been a good owner in other ways. They've seen a lot of continuity. We've seen a lot of, um, stability. We've seen a lot of people that the team has hired, to work for them hired away because they're so good at what they do here. Um, 
so you know there's ups and downs. I would say that what did I say earlier? The devil the devil you know is better than the devil than the devil you don't know. And um I, I really don't want to kick Dan Gilbert after he's had, you know, the stroke, you know, we wish him well. But I think the thing to look at with Dan Gilbert is like the best quality he had as an owner or has is his money. Because when he was very actively involved with the team, he was very involved and didn't retain a lot of talented GMs. There was a lot of turnover, a lot of turmoil. The best player in the sport left twice. Um, and now that he, you know, the stroke has caused him to take a step back, it seems like, you know, they retained Colby Altman and the team is flourishing. They've made a lot of good picks and a lot of development. So, and I'm not saying that's directly related to him not being there, but it's just one of those things that's hard for me not to look at. So, um, money isn't everything. Yes, the team needs to spend more money. This will help them do it. I'm just very curious to see what happens when, um, when and if there becomes a majority ownership stake for David S. Blitzer and, you know, Paul Dolan ends up being the minority owner. We'll see. And that could be 15 years from now. <laughs> Absolutely. <I> mean, <laughs> it could be. Does it, does it inject more revenue immediately into the organization? When does this transition into ownership take place? When is it approved by MLB? All, all questions that need to be asked. You know, it's exciting news to think, hey, there's a new minority co- owner coming on board. And um, this person may mean additional spending. Uh, that's a good thing for an organization that's really done well with development pitching wise. We all know that they need more hitters, um, need more bats for the lineup and what could have been, we don't know, you know, I mean, if they spent more over the last 10 years would the team produced any differently, I mean, look at other teams that have had huge payrolls and then have flopped like the Yankees and the blue Jays and, you know, several other clubs, even, the Padres last year who went all in and really never achieved what they had hoped for. I, I, I'm not here saying that to defend Dolan in any way. I am saying with their development and an influx of potentially some additional resources now, can this club get better and cross over that threshold that we all want to see them win, which is the world series. Right. Yeah, a lot of things could happen, so it's worth keeping an eye on. Nothing's official yet. You know, we thought that they were going to make a sale to somebody else earlier in the year. I can't remember the guy's name. It was in Zach Meyer's Middleton. Uh, yeah, and he was from the same area. I think he was a New Jersey guy, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah, interesting they chose that area, or that's how it worked out. Um, Maybe there's a lot of money so yeah, we'll see. there. <laughs> it must be. So, yeah, David Blitzer is 52. Um He's a private equity investor. He owns a lot of different sports teams. Uh, yeah, so we'll see what happens there. We'll keep an update on that as as things you know unroll. It might be a while, um, but hey, I, I suppose for today it's good news because that means that at least immediately, like you said, there should be a little more money injected into the team. So I, I'll be curious to see if he ends up selling any of his stake in, in any of his other teams. You know, he's got let's see one. Three soccer teams, uh, an NBA team, an NHL team, an esports company. I, I mean, I don't think I'll sell that, but I mean, I wonder if one of these sports teams will divest from. Yeah, like I lot. said, he's been a, a full-time, part-time owner. He's not been committed to any one thing. And I'm wondering if at some point in time he does divest in those other interests since this seems to be, and I don't know his controlling stakes in, in the other sports, but I would imagine that he would have 
greater net worth if he had a larger um, control in those other organizations. That's a good point. Yeah. And you never know how that might change his portfolio. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to know how those things work, to be honest. Like I was looking at that article about the values of guys and I didn't understand like Ron Fowler spent so much money the last several years on the team and he's worth 500 million. And Ken Kendrick, the, I don't know, the Diamondbacks uh, payroll, but they haven't been that good. And I look at like, uh, who is it? Stuart Sternberg is the owner of the race. He's valued at his net worth was 800 million. So they don't spend any money in, in Tampa Bay, and that must be related directly to, I don't know, attendance. Because if that guy is worth $200 million less than um, this new guy, then why isn't he spending more? I don't know. The whole thing, all thing's very confusing. All this to say is um, all these guys have lots of money. They spend it in interesting ways, and we just hope that they spend it in a way that uh, is good for the people who are interested in the team and – uh, are the ones that are watching and buying stuff. That's all I would say. Let's hope they spend it that way. I think we can move, move on a little bit from this topic. Uh, let's see. Gar- last week, uh, I, did, I wanted to get to this last week, but we ended up just having Travis last week. Uh, Fangraphs had their Zips projections for the Guardians. Um, interesting. A couple stood out to me, Willie. Uh, obviously, Jose Ramirez is really good. Uh, the best on the team. A 141 OPS plus, 5.4 war. Uh, Interesting, though, that after that, uh, the second best OPS plus projection on the team is Richie Palacios. I'm sorry, no, Fernando Reyes is 124. After that, it's it's George Valera at 109, Stephen Kwan at 106, and Richie Palacios at 104. Nobody else above 100. So you have two guys in the major league roster projected of an OPS plus over hundred, which by the way is league average. And the rest of them are all below that, except for three minor leaguers. That's amazing. I don't know if that's amazing, good or amazing, bad, but it's, it's definitely, it's amazing in one way. Well, what really caught my, <laughs> what really caught my attention in all of it. And, you know, I'm a pitching guy, so I'm looking at the pitching side of it. Um, I felt they were kind of low on some of the the pitchers. War, like Shane Bieber, who was projected at a, a 3.6, feels low to me. But I felt Quantrill was low. I felt Plesac was low. I think McKenzie was 1.4, if I remember off the top of my head. Um, yeah. That that felt like that could be low for him. Plesac was at a 1.6. Um, might be accurate. He might be close to 2. Um, but the pitching side feels light and they had a 2.5 on, on Andres Gimenez, which surprised yeah. me. The, I mean, that, yeah, a lot that, of that looks like defensive value. His defensive value really there. Yeah. Yeah. The offense was good. I mean, I, it's interesting to me that like we have a year and a half of Stephen Kwan uh, date on him and the projections like him. Same for Richie Palacios because he's missed the whole season, or he's missed two seasons if you count 2020 and 2019. He's got a good projection, so that seems to be pretty favorable. If, he, if he's missed so much time in his big league career and the projections already like him, um, I would say that's a pretty good sign. Same for George Valera, who's just turned 21 and hasn't been above Double A for more than a month, or hasn't has only been Double A for a month. But on the pitching side of things, you're right; it's it's very light. Um, for a lot of guys, you know, I think, I think the 
war factor for Shane Bieber is probably based on his in his innings limits because it's only got him at 139 innings, which is obviously based on um, missing time in 2021. It has Cal Quantrill as the innings leader on the team at 154, which if that's the case, this team is not in good shape, even though they have more depth. But uh, I was looking at ERA plus, which is uh, the same as OPS plus, the higher, the better, and then um, hundreds league average. So Bieber's projected at 141, which is really good. And Cal's at 102 among the starters. But the interesting thing to me was this. Plesek and, and McKenzie are at 96 ERA plus. So they're below league average projection-wise. But if you look at um, Peyton Battenfield, Cody Morris, Tobias Myers, and, geez, even even Xavion Curry, um, they're all roughly within the same range. Like Peyton Battenfield, the projection on, on ERA plus for him is 100, which is league average. Cody Morris, 107. Tobias Myers, 94. Um, even Connor Pilkington, 92. Xavion Curry, 93. Aaron Savali was only a 90. So um, you've got a, a bunch of guys who are going to be in AAA this year that are projected to be close to league average, if not better than three of the guys that are going to be in the rotation this year. So, yeah, the war numbers don't look good based on innings, but it looks like you have a lot of guys who are going to be better than the, than the in the minor leagues, and you're going to be thrown out there on opening day. And that, that's just a projection. We have no idea what's going to happen, but – you know, these things are are pretty well, you know, reasoned and they're done with a formula that's been proven over time. There's I think, a reason they put them out every year. I think with my takeaway on that is you see the pitching depth that you pointed out, but you also see a team that is very 85 wins. I think if you total it up just off of the top of my head, um, that's a very competitive team that needs mm-hmm. a few more pieces. And if with a new potential minority owner, they get a little bit more aggressive and pursue an additional bat or spend a little bit more money than they were going to, maybe those upgrades put this in a low 90 win team. Um, Tying tying the whole conversation kind of together there. um, Obviously, these are just projections. And you can't expect to get these type of projections from people. But as I pointed out, that's the low end projections on some of these guys. Um, I think Shane Bieber pitches more than 130 or 140 innings this year. Is it 180, 200? Who knows, you know, because of workload, obviously they'll have to monitor that. They don't want to overwork him coming off of a shortened season last year. And then a short season the year, year before, but they also talk about these guys being prepared for a full workload next year because, they put in the work in the off season in preparation of that. Uh, there is, there is that factor. I, I say all of that to say, even with these projections, I think it's a very modest, but there's uh, a ray of hope, if you will, that they'll out- outperform these projections. And this team has a chance to be much better than even these early projections. Yeah. And, and the thing with these, as with any projection is um, that it's, that's run by a formula is that's an average of, of, things you know they don't just run one outcome and that's what it is it's it's thousands i don't i don't know exactly what's into it maybe we'll have dan zamborski on, on some time to talk about it but who is the guy who runs this for fan graphs but it's the outcome of, of a thousand of estimations that they and tests that they run so this is the average of what they came out with which means 
uh, most projections are on the conservative side. If you look at Zips or always, yeah, uh, yeah, Clay Travis's uh, Davenport translations, Baseball Prospectus has their um, their projections. I'm trying to think who else does them. I don't know if anybody else does, but um, anybody who does that, they're conservative. They're not. They're not meant to be the highest percentile. It's supposed to be the average percentile, the 50, 50% outcome um, because it takes all the data and, and at, runs it, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of times. So that these came back, I guess, pretty positively on average is really good for, you know, guys like Quan and Valera and, and Palacios, maybe not so good for, you know, I, I mean, 93, as far as ERA plus is concerned, doesn't tell the whole story, but, you know, it tells you if they're a league average pitcher or not, I guess, if they get to 100. And the fact that Playsack, McKenzie, and, and Savali are all projected to come out on the bottom end is, I don't want to say concerning, but it's it's disappointing. But it's also good that, um, it's also good that you have all these guys we just talked about are projected to have, you know, possibly good seasons and they can help this year. So, Pitching depth's in a good place. Clearly, they need to add a bat, at least one, because, look, Valera probably isn't up in 2021. And um, if we see both Quan and Palacios in 2022, or I'm sorry, yeah, 2022, I, I don't know what that means, but, you know, maybe that's a good thing, and maybe it's not. But, I mean, this team might might only be a, be a bat or two short, depending on what position they, they add in. So... I don't know those were those were a lot of fun to look at and um, you know just an interesting story painted from them. Let's see what else we got this week. We got the what top tens came out from Baseball in America and Baseball Prospectus. Willie, where do you want to start? You want to start Baseball America or Baseball Prospectus? I haven't seen uh, Baseball Prospectus. All right, let's start there. So their top ten actually just dropped today, uh, December twentieth. So their top 10 was uh, Valera, <clears throat> Daniel Espino, Brian Rocchio, uh, Gabriel Arias, Gavin Williams, Tyler Freeman, Nolan Jones, Jose Tena, uh, Kenzie Noel, and Stephen Kwan, which, uh, you know, you can order. I think you can order one through five a lot of different ways, but um, there seems to be a lot of variance on Tyler Freeman because Baseball America has Tyler Freeman number one. And they have Stephen Kwan in their top 10, which I actually really like. And it seems to me that Nolan Jones has fallen a lot of places. And I think Bo Naylor fell off their top 10 too, which I'm not surprised by. But, you know, what do you think of uh, their list? I, uh, I'm i not surprised to see Jones <clears throat> slip down rankings. I think I have him sixth in my own. Um but I went and looked at some of his numbers and he actually throw out the first 20 or 30 games of the season this year. And he actually performed fairly well and actually hit left-handed pitching good. And I'm curious if it's prospect fatigue with Jones, um, mm-hmm. Tyler Freeman, on the other hand, you and I both really liked, liked him last year. We had him number one, I'm um, going into the year. And then he had another shoulder injury which is why he's fallen down the board for some. I'm surprised he's number one at Baseball America still. Um, it I don't know if it, if it means position change for him or depth means position change for him. But I, I think 
you could say there's a little bit of surprise seeing Quan there. We know that I think Prospects Live really talked about Quan and um, what he's done with the uh, with the cybermetrics and how impressive he was. He also had some of the lowest exit velocities for somebody that produced so much power too. So mm-hmm. there is that, if you can call that a concern. I think what you see out of him is who he is or who he is becoming now, um, which is a good third, fourth outfielder type. And a guy that has that 12 to 15 home run power comes from a smaller frame and frame and a good on base. And I'm glad that uh, zips projections are really friendly with him too. Um, going back to that for a second, there's a lot of depth there and, and that, you know, I pointed that out with the pitching. I think you pointed that out with the hitting. It's, it's impressive to see some of these players finally stepping forward or, or it feels like they're finally stepping forward because it feels like we've been waiting for some of these guys for so long. And we really need to see some of these bats come through for this team. Interesting. You mentioned Quan cause I was actually going through my film of him over the weekend. Um, cause I was working on a scouting report for prospects live for uh, their list for Cleveland. And I was just kind of looking over things. So he had 12 home runs last year in about four or th- what was it? 300 something plate appearances. I'd have to go back and look exactly how many, but um, you know, he missed like a month uh, of time with the hamstring strain. If he is healthy all year, he might've gotten to like 15 or 20. Let's see. He had, he had 321 at bats or plate appearances last year, hit 12 homers. That's about a home run every 28 at bats. Um, so over over 500 at bats, we're talking you know about 20 home runs. That's uh, that's interesting for a guy who doesn't seem to have a lot of power. And 20 home runs for an outfielder is you know a little below average, not quite above average. But when you combine that with the fact that he gets on base a ton because he doesn't strike out and he walks a, quite a bit, um, always makes good contact. Yeah, well, he should be stealing bases more than he has. He ran eight times last year and got caught um, twice. Um, so he needs to run a little more. And in the year before that, he caught, he got caught seven out of 19 or 18. So he needs to improve in that area. But if he plays a good left field and he gets on base, I mean, zips on base projection, uh, on base percentage projection for him is 343. Um, I will take that in a left fielder, 343 on base. If he plays a good left field and if he hits you 10 to 15 home runs, maybe more and, and plays and, uh, can run a little better. That's a really solid starter. Richie Palacios is not much different. They actually have um, Palacios with a lower slugging percentage projection, though he hit more doubles than Quan last year. But they're they're very similar players. Uh, I think Quan might have a little more sticking power in the majors as far as on base skills because of his swing. But I don't know. One of those guys should be a good fit, and I'm super excited about their their future. So I. I thought it was fun to see him and, and baseball prospectus top 10. I think that makes a lot of sense. If you really believe in the OBP skills, uh, Jose Tana being number eight is kind of a, I don't know. I guess it's interchangeable five through 10. The one consistency I did notice is that Daniel Spino was two and Brian Rocchio was three. And like I said, I think the top five, you can really, the top five seems to be really, really, you can go a lot of ways depending on how you feel about certain guys. That's my I'm, only takeaway. I'm Daniel Espino's one of his biggest fans. I think you know that, how much I've mm-hmm. hyped him and talked about him. And I, I've also said that there's if, if there's any arm in the system, that it's 
Gavin Williams, who's ranked number five, that could surpass him. Um, but Espino hasn't played or performed at the level level Rocchio has. Um, we all know about Espino's upside. I think we're seeing Rocchio's upside as well. You know, we saw mm-hmm. that in spring training. What was it last year, or or in twenty spring training of twenty twenty when he hit that home run off of Zach Gallen, and um, you know that that impressed a lot of people and got a lot of people's attention. But I. I frankly have Rokio too in mine, and I think you can make an argument that he's possibly the best prospect in the organization. Um, I, I think you can make that argument. Based but I on won't. position, uh, yeah, just on positional value and his age and his, his performance for the level, uh, you can make that argument. And his upside: how much does he fill out his frame? How much more power is there? How strong? How much more strong does he get? Um, Will he lose a step? I don't think he's going to lose much of a step, even if he does gain 10 or 15 pounds. Yeah, he'll slow a little bit just with maturity, but you know, I, I don't think he's ever going to be a big frame guy anyways. It's just not there. Yeah, he doesn't really have the frame to put more weight on. I mean, he, he probably will add a little strength, but we're not talking anything major. But I, I'm with you there. I, I, I like Valera enough to say he's number one for me. Baseball America has him number four, which – uh, it's kind of a surprise to me. That's kind of a, I don't know, I think top three, I would think, is, is kind of, I mean, I guess it depends on the risk you factor into what he can do as far as maybe the swing and miss issues, but there's not that much. Um, I think they just prefer the contact profile over the power, and maybe that's why. But for me, I, I still have Valera number one. Number two, I, I think I have Rokia right now, but, um, you know, I'm not really ready to, to solidify ours yet. I know when the... The calendar turns to 2022. We'll be on that. Oh, the other one I thought I'd share with you um, <clears throat> on baseball prospectuses because I know our our uh, our listeners love it and you love it. Number 11 is Logan Allen. You know that's that's my guy right now. I I think Logan Allen's a top 10 prospect because I think he's um, major league ready and he's going to be better than a lot of people think he's going to be. But number 12, uh, PD Halpin, rising up those boards. <laughs> Uh, as People big come as to our podcast, you know just I am. listen to that. <laughs> and, and you, you know I am, and I shared my rankings with you over the weekend. So you've you've seen where I have guys at right now and how I kind of value them. Um, as much as I like PD, I don't have him inside of the top 20 right now. I, I do like Logan Allen, and he's inside my top 10, probably the third best pitching prospect in the organization right now because of the polish, the preparedness, if you will, that's there. Somebody I think we could see as soon as next year. Um, but it's a good time to be, I almost said a Tribe fan, it's a good time to be a Guardians fan because <laughs> of the argument that we have with these guys. It's not like we have a barren wasteland of a farm system. Um, we have a lot of guys that we can talk about and argue between 5 to 15 and say, hey, there's a bunch of guys here that you can slot in, you know, like Jose Tana making that top 10 and even – Young Kenzie Noel getting inside of the top 10, just outside of it for me. But I think you can make a, a case, a strong case with his performance last year. Um, now being on the 40 man roster, it just shows you how the organization values him. But interesting tidbit that you'd pointed out with Eric Longenhagen Hagen pointing out that uh, Cleveland felt like he would get selected in the rule five draft if they left him unprotected. So 
Yeah, it says about how good, how valued he is, despite his age. When you talk about exit his, velocities, people love that. Yeah, and his position, uh, being a right-handed thumper at first base, more than likely. Yeah, and that's not a position that's it's easy to stick at. So if they, if someone really valued him that much, then yeah, definitely worth keeping him on the list, whether you're uh, willing to take a risk or not. On Baseball America's list, by the way, so. Baseball prospectus, Bo Naylor fell out of their top um, everything because they went to top 10 and then they looked, they did number 13. Number 13, by the way, was Tommy Mace, which um, also an interesting top. Tommy Mace, top 20 prospect in a, in a very loaded organization. I'm not sure I agree with that, but um, like you said, it's it's good because that gives us more argument. And um, You know, it says also about the quality of the prospects that, the, the, that this organization is bringing in. And... Um, I had, if I remember right, I had Mace above Doug Nikhazy last year in my personal rankings because of his mm-hmm. polish and his preparedness. Um, he's somebody that's going to fast track toward the bigs. Does that mean he necessarily makes it there with Cleveland or did Cleveland stockpile on arms that they can deal for bats or other positions? You know, um, I'm not saying they're going to trade Mace, but it, it could be that they have all of his starting pitching depth stockpiled for a reason but it's a good thing to have quality prospects and and a number of them we know after last year that you can lose a bunch of arms um and it's and it's one of the things can you ever have enough pitching prospects the answer is no you can't you when you think you have enough pitching go get more I, i completely believe and buy into that scenario because i'm a big pitching guy so um Good to see Mace that high, or good to hear that Mace is that high. I don't agree with it, but I, I think it also says quality of prospect that Cleveland brought in. Yeah, I mean, if there's an argument to be made, that, that just means the system is a lot stronger than you think it is when you consider someone like that, uh, that ranked that high. And the other thing I'll say is, so Baseball America also had Logan Allen at number nine, which that works for me. I think I think uh, top 10 for sure somewhere. They left Bo Naylor at seven, whereas... Um, baseball perspectives drop Naylor out of their top 13. I think that's a little hasty to drop Naylor by now. Um, especially like when you're talking about, okay, you have Mace, you have Halpin, you have um, Quan, and you have Tana. And I, I like all those guys. I just, I think it's a little hasty to drop Naylor out of the top 10 just after one bad year. Especially, I mean, everyone said he might be a bad first catcher, but um, I, I don't know. I just, I don't think you can give up on him. So, so quickly to the think, think that he's not a top 10 prospect. I know a lot of what they do is for the fantasy angle. So maybe that has something to do with it, but um, I don't know that that seems very quick to me. And then the other thing is too, I know this is a guy you like Willie is, is Angel Martinez. Uh, Baseball America has him at number 10, which good prospect, but number 10 in a system like this, I, I don't know if I can buy that. That's, that's another spot where I would say, okay, that's where you can probably place a Jose Tana or um, a Jan Kenzie Noel or, or, you know, something like that. Yeah. And I think Martinez is a safer bet. I think Tana has the higher ceiling of the two of them. Um, I think you still end up with probably two major league players there. One with the higher ceiling, one that'll probably be a very productive everyday player and one that could be a really exciting everyday player. You know, I, I think, Martinez is more your vanilla ice cream, if you will. Um, 
Well, Tana offers you sprinkles and nuts and all of that with it too, because he has a lot of tools and things that stick out that, that Martinez doesn't, you know, but, but I personally, I have Martinez closer to 15 than inside of the top 10. I just don't see it with him. I do try to weigh in my personal rankings. I try to weigh uh, performance for level two and also balance in there some sort of projectability at the same time. And Martinez was good last year in low A. At, what was he, 19 or 20? I mean, he had a good season and he kind of tailed off towards the end. I think he's going to be good. I just, I don't know if he's top 10 good. I, I mean, everyone's different. I know we talk a lot about this and maybe we can have a podcast on this in the new year. We talk about kind of what goes into the sauce of doing all this. But for me, I like to balance proximity to the big leagues, how 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 much I think that one player can at least reach the floor of his projection and how much ceiling they have. You know, you try to balance all that. I'm, I'm a big believer in, in kind of ranking guys who have a good floor and you feel like they're going to get to that floor. And then guys you think have a high ceiling that maybe have a higher degree of getting to it, you rank higher. And obviously, you know, at, with your risk, you kind of push down the list if they have a higher risk. And Martinez, in that sense, does have a pretty safe floor, right? And he's still young. I don't know how much the ceiling is there. And that's kind of why I'm like, I don't know, top 10 for a guy I just don't feel like has the ceiling. You really have to feel like the floor is really good and you're confident that he can be. Because, I mean, if you you don't have to have a guy in the top 10. And these are all subjective anyway. This is just for fun. But is, is Martinez an everyday player? Do you feel like – because if so, I feel like top 10 is kind of high. If I, I would I would probably reserve that for a guy I feel confident is going to be a starter at the major league level. That's yeah, kind of and For me, you have positional versatility, high IQ, high outcome player, high floor, I guess you could say with Martinez. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a higher ceiling with Tana there. Martinez is probably somebody that becomes maybe a most days player, which is not what you think of in terms of a top 10 prospect, as you're pointing out, Tana, where we think, or I think, um, that Tana is probably a starting shortstop at the major league level. I think there's a chance that Martinez is probably a starting either shortstop or second baseman, or maybe he can play some third base and, and play almost every single day. I think you still get good productivity from him. Um, am I ready to commit to the future at shortstop to him? If other guys, let's say we throw out Arias and Rocchio, just throw them out of the organization and Freeman. If it was Tana or Martinez, Tana's the future at shortstop, if that's the case, you know, and Martinez is yeah. the second baseman of the future. Kind of the way I look at the two of them and how I value the two of them. And that's not an awful I think Tana's bat What's that? I, and I think Tana's bat is much better too, not just the glove. Absolutely. And, and you know, like I said, one's vanilla ice cream and one is all of that and, and sprinkles and, and <laughs> Hershey's syrup poured over top of it, you know, so you get the sex appeal with Tana and, and Martinez bland, boring, but he's going to perform and be a good player. In my opinion, once he does make it to that level. Yeah. And like I said, everyone looks at this stuff differently. They evaluate differently. I'm sure baseball America sourced there, there. So they, and they do a great job. So I'm just not to knock them. This is just a fun little debate kind of on the two lists and what our preferences are and what you might see from us. When our prospect list starts dropping, I think we're going to aim to start around February. I don't think we'll be starting spring training on time, although the minor leaguers might. So um, 
I don't know. I usually like to start our prospect rankings the first of February if we can. So we'll see. That just gives you a little bit of insight into where things are headed for us. That was a lot of fun. If you want to, I don't know, we, we already covered the ownership stuff, but take this for what you will <clears throat> as we're recording this. Uh, John Heyman says that the deal for David S. Blitzer um, is a path to controlling interest on the team within five or six years. He also goes on to say current owner Larry Dolan is well-respected but doesn't seem to have the money to support a competitive MLB payroll. Uh, Larry Dolan is, I guess, technically the owner, but Paul Dolan is the guy who is in charge. So um, I'm not really sure how much I want to believe saying all that because uh, half of that was not 100% true. I don't know. Is that right? It's John Heyman. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, who who does this benefit? As you always say, who does this benefit? That's a good I, point. There's probably some benefit? truth and speculation there. Um, yeah. interesting five or six years is interesting, though. What's that? I said, yeah, five or six years is interesting, though. That's quick. Yeah, that's what I was about to get into. And, and I would think if somebody's going to put 35% down on a team right now, and in the situation that we're all looking at, I I would think that there would have to be a faster path than you know, than what we were probably anticipating. Maybe that's the incentive. That's the carrot that brings him in to the table or brings him into the conversation and and makes him want to do this deal. Obviously he feels like this will be beneficial for him. And I know a lot of people want Dolan gone, but you know what the organization has done under him. You have to look at that and throw his spending, non-spending out for a few moments. And it's, been a very successful tenure as far as winning have they won a world series no but they came daggone really close Close you can get as close as you can get without winning it yeah and and i just think that they have a lot of chances at doing that with this front office the way things are operated have operated and hopefully over the next five years we get a lot of exciting baseball as there sounds like there could be some sort of transition um Hopefully that means that we are seeing championships and possible extensions and, and all of that, you know, as a guardians fan, I want to see the new brand do well because it benefits Cleveland and, you know, us as fans too. And immediately you think hopefully Jose Ramirez extension is the first thing. So I don't know. We'll see. I, I don't know. Uh, I've been want to go back at Austin hedges extension really hard. So they do <laughs> need a catcher next year. And if Bo Naylor is no longer a top 10 prospect, then, uh, it's either Brian Lavastito or next year or uh, nobody or you. You're catching next year, Willie. That's kind of you that's know, what I don't the catching know if my knees are going to handle it. My my shoulder, <laughs> the that rotator cuff impingement and tear. I, I just don't think. I mean, I'm already breaking down, man. <laughs> I'm with you there. Don't don't suit me up. I am. Uh, I'm not volunteering for any amount of money to do that. To be honest, my body would just not hold up long term. It already is not holding up. So. Speaking of money, uh, this is one thing I wanted to get to before we end on the topic I really wanted to talk about today. I think we'll expand upon it next time, but um, a lawsuit is out there today um, that minor league teams are suing Major League Baseball to end their antitrust exemption from the U.S. government and Congress. And this is because of um, not not because from the players. This is not coming from the, the minor or the uh, players' association, which. I kind of thought if it got bad enough, the Players Association would 
drop their union in order to file a class action and and try to end the law uh, antitrust exemption. But they haven't gotten that far yet. But the minor leaguers are doing it. Not the t- not the players, but um, it's forty different minor league teams. All these teams got contracted in twenty nineteen. Um, and are no longer part of Major League Baseball. And this is affiliates of the Yankees, the Astros, the Giants, and the Tigers. And they're saying that the agreement between MLB and, and the other 30 franchises um, violates the Sherman Act. So they're trying to get um, the U.S. government to drop Major League Baseball's antitrust exemption, which they've had since 1922. This is an interesting lawsuit. I don't know. This doesn't really impact players. Like, it doesn't impact how much they're going to get paid. It doesn't impact the CBA. But I find it interesting that um, I, I have no idea if this is even going to, if it's going to happen. This may be like a year or two year thing. But this is just the them saying that the Major League Baseball colluded in contracting these teams, taking them out of business, basically. And, hey, if it, if it knocks out Major League Baseball's antitrust or uh, – their, their antitrust exemption from the U.S. Supreme Court, then that is a interesting development for Major League Baseball and its Players Association for the future. And it, it probably won't impact them this year, but it may down the road. I don't know how to wrap my head around all of that <laughs> other than, you know, I, I have some personal thoughts and maybe I should keep some of those to myself, to myself, all, all six of me. <laughs> <laughs> Have a different conversation all, all with my yourself. I, I, understand. I don't know if they're supposed to be aware of each other or not, though. So. <laughs> we can have a podcast just about that. If this I, I, we will have all six on we... as a guest. <laughs> yeah, it'll make a. It'll make, your, your other five personnel will make a good guest if we have to go that long. <laughs> um, like I was saying, though, I, I don't know how to wrap my head around all of that or the implications that are really there. But it seems to me that it would benefit the players in the future. Um, would they be willing to try to sit this out or use that as leverage in the negotiations with the lockout? Maybe not necessarily leverage, but maybe they look for a shorter deal in the meantime with hopes that that does come through. And, And I'm sure they'll have lawyers and all of that and look into this. Is this a case looking for a settlement or is this a case looking to proceed with a decision. And if they're looking yeah, for a settlement as far as damages go, you know, I, I could see that scenario playing out or are they going to push forward and hope to have that settlement, you know, where it breaks up that antitrust that MLB has. Yeah. I, I don't know what the end result of this could be. I mean, they're obviously, like you said, they're obviously suing to end the antitrust, but I, you, like you said, there could be a money, there could be a figure out there they want to settle for. It's four teams, by the way. It's not. It's not all forty that got contracted. Forty teams did get contracted, but um, it's just four teams. So this looks like the Salem Kaiser Volcanoes, the Norwich Sea Unicorns, the Staten Island Yankees, and the Tri City Valley Cats. And the last two are in, are separately suing MLB in New York State Court and other claims. So, um, like I said, this is something that's probably. I, I don't think it's gonna play out this year. I think this is something that's going to take a long time to figure out. You know, the lawsuit just came to the new broke the news today. So um, this is not going to impact the CBA, but not this year, but you know, if it's only a four year CBA and two years from now, this thing plays out and somehow their antitrust gets broken up, then 
the players are, like you said, in really good shape and they could leverage that. But these guys, they might decide that there's a, a price to settle and if they get it, they'll do it and it won't matter. But it's definitely worth watching over the next couple of years to see where this goes because, I mean, this, this, uh, hopefully the CBA for the players in, is really good and it takes them to a place where the next CBA is not as ugly and, you know, fans aren't suffering without baseball and there's no lockout. Um, you don't have to, you know, worry about this again. But, you know, if this one is contentious and the next one is too and this, this pops up and is on the radar, I don't know. It's going to be, it's going to make matters even more interesting. That, that assumes we're all here in four years. You know, things can end any day. So <laughs> I'm just going to well, worry about you tomorrow. You know about that asteroid, right? Yeah. That, <laughs> which one? There's probably multiple. I don't know. I'm just going to worry about today and then I'm going to worry about tomorrow when I wake up tomorrow. And yeah. You know, I've heard of that <laughs> one time. Just... Base, baseball is not going to be back tomorrow. So. We don't have to worry about it then. Baseball's probably not going to be back until at the earliest February. So we'll see. Will by baseball then. start on time or, or not, Justin? Well, uh, last week, if you had if you didn't listen to the podcast last week of Travis Sawchick, Travis he didn't make a prediction, but he said um, he wouldn't be surprised if if uh, majorly if I'm sorry if spring training is not pushed back. So if spring training is pushed back, that could mean that the season is pushed back. So I don't know. I don't think we'll we'll see more than a week pushback. I can't imagine. Like I told Travis as I was looking at the calendar, and I said, "Okay, opening day for Cleveland is is March thirty first. I really don't know if I want to be sitting downtown on March thirty first watching baseball anyway. Y- you um, know what? But, I'm okay with them pushing it back a week or two. <laughs> if if they don't if if there's no baseball by April eleventh, then that's not good. I would say April eleventh is that's the that's the third week or the second week of April. I, I can't imagine many more games past that because then you're just losing more money. That's for yeah. Cleveland. That's one home stand. For other teams, that could be two or three home stands. So, are you really willing to lose that gate? I don't know. I don't think the owners are. It depends on the players' resolve. But I don't know if there if there's no deal done. Okay, if there's no progress, if it doesn't look like they're making any progress to a deal by the Super Bowl, then I'll guess that we're not going to see the season start on time. I don't know. I'm. What do you what? What are you sticking I, I with? I have no clue. You know, obviously, there's not a lot out there about it right now. Um, hopefully, and I think we anticipated we wouldn't really hear anything at all in the month of December. Coming into January, people will want to start getting settled. Players will start feeling a little uneasy about the future. I know that they say that they're um, together in it, and yes, they are. Um, but at the same time, all of the players have a family and significant others, spouses, children, family members mm-hmm. that they are concerned with, you know, and they want to have that security and owners want to have the money and the players want to have money and and be able to make uh, a reasonable living. And that's why we're having a lockout. Well, no, that's why players... <laughs> Are pushing for, <laughs> yeah. That's that's the owners want to keep more money, so. right? <laughs> the players want a, a better share of it because if you look at the numbers, the shares have been going down in terms of what the players are actually receiving for what the organization is bringing. Organizations are bringing in, um, 
you know, you got to think that there's some things players are going to give up. There's some things the owners are going to give up. It sounds like there's a path with some of the stuff just as a fan on the outside looking in and saying, hey, here's a common sense approach. But in the past, baseball hasn't done the common sense thing. So there's that. I'll, I'll yeah, just the say players, that. <laughs> and the players took a bad deal last time. So, yeah. And, and like I said, it, it comes back to those things, family and your and your spouse or your significant other and your children and parents and all of that. And, and you want to provide for them. I get that. I have mm-hmm. all of that. Um, though I don't have a spouse and a significant other, just the spouse. <laughs> that's, that's important to note. Yes. <laughs> oh, my I just wife have the one appreciate too. that, but I don't think she'll ever listen. So <laughs> you can let it all out here. It's okay. Your secrets are safe with us. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's going to be what the play the players resolve, and it's going to be how much you know. At what point can they push the owners to lose money based on losing games? Um, and the longer the lockout goes, you know, the owners are going to try to break the players. That's going to break them up, and how many of them are going to want to, like you said, some of the mid tier free agents, guys who don't have destinations yet and aren't aiming for a big payday, like a guy like Carlos Correa. No matter when this ends, he's getting three hundred million or something, but. You know, a guy in the middle of the free agency pack who's looking for a one-year deal for like, you know, eight ten million dollars. He wants to get his his payday and find out where he's playing next year. And that's where the longer the lockout goes, the owners are going to try to pit the Carlos Correas versus the the middle tier prospects, and the players have to have the resolve to force the owners to lose gate revenue um, if they want to make it out on their end. So it's a it's a game of chicken that's not really fun. For anybody, I guess, is, is what we're trying to say. I don't think uh, we see any games missed, but I could see them delayed. Like what? So push I, back? I could, the, the schedule push back? Because they're already playing October 1st. I think as the season goes to October, yeah, and, October and, 2nd. And I think you can probably add some doubleheader games in there and get back a, a week of games that you lose if you start a week late. You know, so there, there's that. Will they want to reduce the number of games played next year? I, I doubt it. Maybe that will be part of the CBA, and, and that's something players push for, but that's not been anything that we've even seen on the table so far. You know, that, that could come into play at some point in time. Reduce from 162 games to 154 or 150 or whatever the number is, you know. Um, there's a path. There's a way to do it if they wanted to do that. But ultimately, I think owners and players will want to maximize their money in their pocket at the end of the day. And I think they'll find a way to make something work. I hope it's um, more beneficial for your middle tier and your younger players. Um, That's where it's really at to me. That's where it Mm -hmm. really matters. Not only your minor league prospects, because that's personal, you know, you and I both are strong that, the, the prospects coming up through the farm system have to be taken care of better. No ends, or, ends ands, or buts about that. They, they need to be better compensated, better cared for, and they've done some things right, but there's still more things that need to continue to change. And then, you know, as players come through and they get a year experience, their, their base salary has to raise year to year. It has to be a higher base salary than what it is right now. And I think all of the players would agree with that. 
And I think there's a, a path for ownership to even agree with that. And that's where I was saying, I think there is some, some paths to some sort of agreement to be had. Maybe. I mean, as far as it looks, I don't see anything getting done with minor leaguers. I don't think they're really going to have a shot at this and things probably won't change on their end unless, yeah. you know. And, they and I'm really referencing the, the guys that have the one year in, two years in, your pre-arb right. guys. I don't think they'll change the years of control. Maybe they adopt an age limit where you have a both and type of system, something that you and I have kind of bantered about back and forth. Um Maybe maybe they re- raise the um, minimum salary of like a, a first year player goes from five hundred and seventy five thousand to one million for an example, or eight hundred thousand. I think Ken Rosenthal uh, threw out there. Um, that's where you start, and I think that's where you really win the players over. You win a lot of the middle tier guys, if you will. A lot of the guys that are, are only going to get a couple of years in the bigs or get a cup of coffee. Um, You'll, you'll definitely win that vote by saying, hey, your first three years, we're going to increase your salary by a million dollars. Yeah, that's definitely going to, to – that should change things a little bit and and get some guys paid earlier and maybe even get something like restricted free agency where if you hit a certain age, you know, you get to be a restricted free agent and um, at least that helps you out get to there a little bit sooner and see if your team's going to match the money. Um, that might help them out a little bit, but um, – Let's get to some questions before we wrap up. We're not going to get to the topic I wanted to get to. Uh, we're going to talk about players we're looking forward to seeing in 2022, but um, we're about an hour in, so I think we can save that for another podcast. So that maybe that means we have one more before the end of the year. I was not sure if this would be the last one, but maybe it won't be. Um, <clears throat> we've only got two questions this week anyway, Willie. So the first one was, uh, why should be, this is from baseball underscore in underscore CLE. His uh, name is just Cleveland. And he loves Cleveland Indians baseball, Cleveland Guardians baseball, whatever. Um, he wants to know, or they, I don't know if it's a guy, they want to know, why should we be excited about Valera when the organization has been a disaster for outfield development? So um, here's your lump of coal, Willie. Why Why should anybody be excited about anything? <laughs> if, if things are so bad, why should you ever get ex- You know, never get excited about anything. We know the right. Uh, all, <laughs> all, all we're ever going to get is Oscar Mercado and Bradley Zimmer and yes. the Tyler Naquins of the world. We can't have anything nice. In fact, I think they need to trade away Miles Straw. Too good. He is too good for Cleveland. You're right. That's right. Uh, uh, we need to set our expectations lower. No, I, I think Valera's hit tool, the power that's there, he's got a strong arm. He can probably play right field. I'd put him in left because I don't think he's going to be the most fleet-footed guy out there or the best defender. But I think with that swing at the bat and the approach at the plate where he's going to take a, a high number of walks, the power that's to come. Um, my big concern with Valera, I'll put that out there, is his injury history. Um, seemed to do really well this year, blossomed and performed at a high level, at a high level. Um you know, I think there's a lot to be excited about there. Why not? Yeah, I mean, at some point you have to to figure it out. The odds uh, have to turn in their favor sometime, and I think Valera is the one that will. I mean, you can't just say, well, the rest of them have been terrible, so this is going to be terrible too. I mean, that's that if you apply that to everything in your life that, you know, 
I had this, this ended up being a terrible thing for me. So every time I do it, you know, if you go to one restaurant or if you have pizza once and it's terrible, then you can't just assume pizza's terrible at every other restaurant because maybe you had a bad place or you went on a bad day. Um, yeah. And, and I think this is one of those devil advocate questions too, by the way. Um, yes. Can convince people why we think he's going to be so, spe so special. Um, you know what? We may find that convincing and it may not come from Valera. It may come from Richie Palacios. It may come from Stephen Kwan. I like the fact that there's a number of options that are coming up. What if it's Will Brennan? My Lord. And he actually <laughs> becomes a, like a decent outfielder. You know, what if it is PD helping? What if it's Alexander Canario who I traded for a, a week ago? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you haven't read that piece, go back. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I definitely enjoyed writing that. Whether you like the trade or dislike the trade, it was just it was just for fun. And, you know, as I said in there, what could be this lockout's looming and uh, gives us a lot to think about right now. So mm -hmm. um, there there are options. Uh, Valera is the top option. He's the best option talent wise in the system, but it may not be him. It could be somebody else. Um, but I am confident that one, two maybe three prospects end up panning out for this organization. All of a sudden you have a really good outfield again. Couldn't be far off. Like we said, to begin the show, the projections from uh, zips like Stephen Kwan, they like Richie Palacios and they love George Valera. And <clears throat> like we mentioned, Valera has not been above double a yet. He's only 21. And we mentioned those projections are conservative, but we, we've seen him too. It's not just projections. We've seen Valera, I, I do think he can can be a good outfielder, and like you said, I think I think Palacios and Quan both have major league futures. I don't know that they have the upside that George Valera does, but I think they they both have a chance to be starters um, on a major league team of varying levels. I don't know if they're going to be all stars, but <clears throat> if I had to pick one, I would pick Valera out of those three. But you know, Michael Brantley was an all star a couple times. And you don't have to be an all-star outfield to be good. I mean, obviously, we've seen this outfield's been decent, you know, been terrible over the last several years. But they just need someone to be good. They, they just need someone to come out there and play solid, average, like Miles Straw. They just need a couple more of those guys. I mean, would you like one of those guys to be an all-star? Yes, and that could be Valera. But you just need <clears throat> something to build off of. And I think, yeah, Valera might be the future, but. Like you said, there could be Quan, could be Palacios. They might not be all-stars, but they're going to be good, confident major leaguers, and I think that's a good place to start. I think they've um, raised the floor. At the least. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I think bringing in those guys raises the floor. We don't look at that type of outfield that we've seen for what feels like several years. I think the floor is higher now with this outfield. And, and that's what I was getting at by saying maybe Will Brennan shows up or, or – or is the guy, or maybe it's Stephen Kwan, or maybe it's Palacios, or instead of Valera, it doesn't have to be Valera. There are a number of options there, and having that kind of depth is a good thing. But I also believe that they're going to look outside of the organization, especially bringing in potentially Blitzer as a new minority owner. Perhaps mm. they spend a little bit more money than they were planning on, or, or perhaps that gives them the flexibility to get a guy and extend them or something, you know, or extend some guys that are already in-house. But uh, I, I do expect Nolan Jones in left field. Yeah, you know it, it could be him. Maybe it maybe it's Fran Mule in, in right field four or five days a week, and mm -hmm. Miles Straw just have to run, runs his leg off. But they end up getting more production that way. 
Yeah, they're they're definitely in a better place than they have been, I would say, for outfield. So I think there's reason to be hopeful. I mean, I understand the question. I understand, you know, you keep feeding me crap. Why do I keep trusting that it's not going to be crap? But um, I, I do think, as as we said, this is this batch of, of prospects is really good, and the future is bright, even even for the outfield. I know it's hard to kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel, but um, I think they're going places. Our last question is from Quincy Wheeler, our buddy. Um, I have an easy answer for this. Um, if you could transplant any Cleveland baseball player from 1995 to 2012 to the current roster and have them be playing in the prime for the next player you would choose, who would it be? I have an answer, and I didn't have to think about it twice, Willie. Who would you transplant from from 95 to 2012? Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> She was there's still been a lot of players in, in between there. I mean, um, you could just ignore 2012 because that was a terrible year, and I blocked that year from my mind. So really, we can go 95 to I don't know 2008, I guess, because 09. And I, I loved Kenny Lofton. He was he was one of my favorite players. Um, I might go with Kenny. I love CC Sabathia too. And you know, on the current I'm roster on the current roster. She was. I know they don't need pitching. <laughs> I'll probably go <laughs> they don't with need a center fielder either. Yeah. I know, but I, I put put Straw in left field. I don't care. You don't you don't acquire acquire Miles Straw if you have Kenny Lofton. <laughs> that's true. Um, that's true. I don't know. My I, maybe I have to think twice. And you're right because my my first answer was going to be Grady Sizemore. Grady Sizemore was my second favorite player of all time uh, on the on the team. What about Jimmy? But you're right. They. Yeah, Jim Tomey was my number one and was my all-time favorite player. And, boy, this team sure could use a 40-home run first baseman, right? <laughs> so I, I guess for me, Jim Tomey has to be the answer. But I had a lot of fun watching Grady Sizemore play the outfield and hit and run the bases. That guy was a complete player. and um, I really like Grady, too, and my big thing there. Oh, gee whiz, you know what? It just came to me. Big, sexy Bartolo Colon. Oh, yeah, you can't you can't leave him off. Actually, when you said Big Sexy, I thought you were going to say Richie Sexton. I'm like, well, Richie Sexton would be a good fit in left field here, too. Brian Giles. Brian, oh, Brian Giles would be a good one. Um, we, could mean, <laughs> we could use Ricardo Rincon. They could use Ricardo Rincon. They could use Jose Mesa. I know. They could use Andrew Miller again, for sure. Um, if, I don't know. Sandy Alomar. <laughs> Should Sandy Alomar suit up? I mean, the catching, catching is... Uh, it's not a great situation right now. Maybe he might be the backup anyway. If the way things are going, he <laughs> might have to be a player coach. So maybe, I think maybe Sandy I'll go with Lofton. Jim Tomei would be up there for me too, just because he was always a favorite of mine. That's fair, Kenny Lofton. I, you know what? I'm, I would say Jim Tomei, but I'm going to say Grady Sizemore because could you imagine Jose Ramirez and Grady Sizemore on the same team? They play the same style of baseball. Yeah, just Grady That'd be was fun to have so together. Much. I mean, th- that was the well, one but, thing with Grady. The question was, though, player in his prime. In his prime, he wasn't hurt, so you don't have True. to worry about that. I don't know. I had a lot of fun watching him, and I would, I would, <clears throat> I was bummed that we didn't get to see more of him in his prime because he was a very special player and was on his way to doing a lot of special things. Um, yeah. So, um, 
All right, we should probably wrap things up here. We're a little over an hour. I've I've got to get some things I've got to get to. Uh, I don't want to get out of here for, for I don't. We want to mention this. Um, I should have let off with this, and I apologize. But if it didn't see the news last week, unfortunately, um, <clears throat> catcher Andres Melendez, uh, who was a Cleveland catching prospect, they acquired in twenty at the end of twenty eighteen for Mark Mathias from Baltimore or Baltimore from Milwaukee. Um, he unfortunately passed away over the weekend and. Um, at the age of 20. So our, I don't really have much more to offer on that. Well, if you want to say anything, but definitely thoughts and prayers go out to his family and everybody affected. I know the players were very devastated. He was obviously a very well-liked teammate and a good kid, as you could see by the players' uh, reactions. Yeah, and, and I think that's where, end of the day, we should hang our hats, is this is tragic for that family and his friends. I don't know the reason. I don't care about the reason. I just know that there's a family that's lost a child out there and that's devastated. And the reasoning behind it, I like I said, I don't know. I've heard rumors, but rumors are rumors and they don't matter. What matters is that there's a family that lost a, a son, a brother, a cousin, a friend. Um, that's what really matters at the end of the day. And, you know, thoughts and prayers with that family, with his friends and and his teammates right now, you know? Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Age 20 to, you know, he was on the, on the, I mean, baseball doesn't really matter in this situation, but he was obviously on his way up as a prospect and had a big, made a, had a big league future ahead of him. That's sad, but to lose a family member and a, and a friend at age 20 is, is never easy and never fair. So. Definitely best wishes and, you know, positive thoughts out to the family and friends going through this, uh, this loss. And like I said, you could definitely tell he was a well-liked kid. The player, uh, his teammates all had a lot of great things to say about him and um, definitely feeling the loss. So, uh, you know, best wishes to the family and everybody going through it right now. Uh, So, yeah, so. Thanks for listening. Uh, I think we're going to try to get one more of these out before the end of the year. We wanted to talk about uh, players we're looking forward to seeing the most in 2022, whether that's major league or minor league and some other things we can get to. We can get to some draft stuff. You know, Willie, you're all, what's that? I said, we can talk about both. Make a whole podcast. We can can do both. both. Yeah. Yeah. We have a lot, we still have a lot to talk about and, and we'll, before the season, we don't have to worry about the major league season. So, uh, there's still a lot to come from us, from Guardians Baseball Insider, from Willie, from myself. So, um, Willie, what do you say? Same time next week? Sounds good. All right. We'll be back at you next week. In the meantime, have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Kwanzaa, whatever whatever you celebrate. Have a good one. Be with your family and uh, cherish your time with them. And thank you for spending some time to listen to us. Willie, you have a good one as well. And I'll look forward to reconvening with you next week. Sounds good. And Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to everyone out there. All right. See ya.